The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. For our uh, prayer of confession uh, this morning, I'm going to be preaching on worship. And so... uh, I'm going to read from the book of Malachi. Uh, This passage kind of sets the tone for my sermon because we uh, see a God here who is very disappointed with his people about the way they were choosing to worship him. And so uh, after I read this passage, I'm just going to give you guys a few minutes to offer a a prayer of a confession and just uh, prepare your hearts as we receive uh, God's word uh, this morning. So I'll be reading from Malachi uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 6, and just quiet your heart and just listen. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am the master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you, priest, who show contempt for my name, but you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible when you offer blind animals for sacrifice. Is that not wrong? When you, sac- when you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Will he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to you. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you will not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it, saying, The Lord's table is defiled, and its food is contemptible. And you say, What a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as a sacrifice, shall I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flocks and vows to give it but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. So please quiet your heart and take a few minutes to offer prayer of confession.
Jesus, uh, we come uh, before your presence uh, this morning as uh, sinful people. Uh, most of the time, we don't even know how to worship you. We don't know what to say or how to act. But we uh, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you still call us to come to your sanctuary to talk to you and to commune with each other. And so, lift up our worship this morning. I pray that you accept it. I pray that where we are liking, that you will have grace. And I just pray that the words uh, be speaking uh, this morning will be your words. And just bless our time uh, together, Lord. I just want to lift up Daniel, who is preaching at Crossroad Bible, because Jeremy is not feeling well. Pray for healing for the pastor, and that you use the words of Daniel also to uh, reach your people. Thank you for this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Wouldn't it be nice to have a wise teacher to help you understand what is most important in life? This is what you find in the book of Ecclesiastics. In this sermon series, you will receive a hard-hitting, uncensored, deeply thoughtful look at life, death, and everything else. The teacher takes us from the lowest despair to the firm foundation of a life built on God's command. And so the big question that I'm going to exploring, I'll be exploring this morning is, how do we approach God in the place of worship? How do you approach God in the place of worship? And the big answer is simple. We must approach God with reverence because he alone is worthy of our worship. We must approach God with reverence because he alone is worthy of our worship. Why do you come to church? Every Sunday, you come to church. <laughs> you fellowship, that's a good answer. For some of us, do we come to church to be entertained? Are you coming to church because that's what you're supposed to do? If you're a kid, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do because your parents are supposed to bring you to church. But if you're an adult, are you a cultural Christian? You're like, that's what we do. We just come to church every Sunday. Do you come to church because you want to be heard? You want to be seen? Do you come to church to find a wife? Not a bad reason, but is that your only motive for coming to church? My, my son comes to church to eat donuts and to uh, see his friends, you know, every time. So I'm coming to church to see Omi and play with Micah. Those two names just stick in his head and, yeah. But you're not two, so that shouldn't be your reason for coming to church, right? And so... The way we approach God, the reasons that we come to church this, uh, 
the reasons we come to church will determine how we approach God when it comes to worship. And so it is very important for your heart to be at the right place when you come to worship. And so the teacher in Ecclesiastics right, is teaching from a context of what I read in Malachi chapter 4. Right? And so we, we see a God who is upset at his people. Why? Because they didn't approach God with respect. They didn't approach God with reverence. They came to God's, God's house and they offered sacrifices that they will not even use. Blind, lame, diseased animals. They were sacrificing that to God in his sanctuary. And instead of blessing them, what does God do? God curses them. And so worship is something that we have to take seriously, especially when we come to the house of God. Can you imagine coming to church and instead of being blessed, God angry and cursing us because we are not worshiping him the way he demands and so this is what Ecclesiastic, the teacher in the book of Ecclesiastic is talking about this morning. It is against this backdrop of God cursing his worshipers. We hear the urgency of the teacher's message in Ecclesiastic chapter 5 where he gives us instructions and a series of commands on how we must conduct ourselves when we come to the house of God. And so our passage this morning is in Ecclesiastic uh, chapter 5, verse 1 to 7. And here is the instruction the teacher gives. Ecclesiastic chapter 5, verse 1 to 7. The teacher says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you to sin, and do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at you, at what you say, and destroy the works of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. You know, uh, I was thinking about it this morning. I love that we uh, meet at a coffee shop, right? Because this is not a traditional picture of what a church uh, should look like. And so in the Middle Ages, you know, churches looked like this, like cathedrals. And one of the reasons the church leaders decided to start building churches like this were people were not interested in coming to church, So they're like, how do we get people to come to church? We will build the flyest buildings ever. 
right? And so you have these beautiful cathedrals, and people are like, I want to go in there, I want to see what's inside, right? But the way it was designed was that they wanted when people walk in for the first time to just be in awe of who God was. The icons and everything was supposed to lead you to Christ. And they made, uh, you know, the ceilings were so high because they wanted to emphasize that God is in heaven and we are here. And the church is the gap. So you want to you wanna come to church so that the church can draw you closer to God. And there were other good reasons why they built uh, cathedrals too. But when you walked in the goal was when you walked in, you just wanted to worship God because you were amazed by everything. Even today, if you go to any Eastern Orthodox church, right, you know, the, they have so much icons, icons to just bombard your senses, and that's their way of worship. We don't have that here. We have a cool coffee shop because the same God who met the people who went here is also here. God is everywhere. And so when we walk into the coffee shop this morning, our church, we know that God is here. We don't need tall ceilings and fancy buildings. This is a body of Christ. And where two or three are gathered, God is here. And so when we are here worshiping God, how should we approach God? And so the teacher gives us instructions. And the first instruction he gives us is in verse 5, verse 1. He says, guard your steps when you go into the house of the Lord. Guard your steps when you go into the house of the Lord. Think of where you're about to go when you go to church. You're not going to your friend's house. You're not going to your parent's house. So think about that. You are coming to meet God here. This is God's dwelling place. And so guard your steps when you come into church to meet God Almighty. I love the story in Exodus chapter 3. You know, Moses was just hanging out doing his thing and he saw a flame of fire and he was curious And then as he went close, what did God say? Stop, Moses. Guard your step. This is holy ground. You know, I'm guilty of that because church is like, I'm just here to see my people. And sometimes I forget that God is here and I don't give God the reference that he deserves. And so as I was writing this sermon, I was like, this is a good reminder for me. And This is not to make you feel guilty. This is just to remind us of something that we may have forgotten that. This is the house of God, and so we have to guard our steps. And so how do you guard your steps in the house of God? The teacher explains in the next line, you guard your step when you draw near to listen. It is better than the sacrifices offered to fools. To draw near to listen is better than the sacrifice offered to fools. In the temple, when sacrifices were being offered to God back then in the Old Testament, silence reigned supreme, fostering a sense of God's presence. You know, and then the priest 
would read from God's law and explain what he was reading. And for the whole time, the people remained silent. Kind of like what you guys are doing right now, besides the person at the back speaking. I'm just kidding. There's no one. <laughs> Draw near to listen. But the Hebrew word for listen means to hear so as to do. Let me repeat that again. The Hebrew word for listen is to hear so as to do. And so it focuses on action, not just information. A true worshiper listens to God's words and then acts on it. But in contrast, the teacher says, the fool is someone who listens but does not act upon it. A fool brings unacceptable sacrifices that they themselves cannot use like the Israelites were doing during the time of Malachi. Fools believe that their sacrifices cancels out their sins without the need for repentance. And that is why Samuel said, obedience is better than sacrifice. That is what God wants. Fools, the teacher says, they do not even know how to keep from doing evil because they do evil in the house of the Lord. They come to church for the wrong reasons. They don't worship God the right way because they don't fear God and don't show any reverence to God. Many times in the Old Testament, you will hear, Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. Jesus said, he who has ears, let him hear. And James also said that, let everyone be quick to listen and slow to speak. And so as believers, the discipline of listening is very important, especially in the house of the Lord. You know, when the early uh, church believers gathered, somebody will read a letter, maybe a whole book of Colossians or Thessalonians, and the rest of the congregation just sat and listened and soaked every word of that letter. I was thinking about it. If we can only be good at listening, just think of how many relationships we will have saved. As a married man, I know my cue of when to just shut up and just listen. Because if I don't... Something might happen, Dad. <laughs> we will both regret. And so we guard our steps when we come into the house of the Lord by listening. That is the first instruction the teacher gives. The second instruction the teacher gives has to do with prayers. In verse 2, he says, Never be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be quick to utter a word before God. Never be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be quick to utter a word before God. When you are in the house of God, you should not be quick to speak. Basically, that's what the teacher is saying. And so why this caution? The teacher answers, and he says, For God is in heaven, and you upon the earth. The teacher wants Israel to remember that God is far above us, far superior on the King Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. And so when you go into a palace and you meet a king or a queen, 
Do you just do you speak when you feel like it? No. You show respect, you show reverence, and this is what the teacher is talking about. God is far greater than human kings and princes and queens. And so we show reverence to God when we are not quick to speak. And so the teacher repeats this command also at the end of verse 2. Therefore, let your words be few. Don't be quick to speak and let your words be few. Jesus instructs, When you are praying, do not heap up phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for my Father knows what you need, even before you ask in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 to 9. And then he teaches his disciples the lost, the uh, Lord's Prayer uh, after that. Thank you. No, I, I, I remember going to a, uh, it was an Assemblies of God church. And, you know, during the time of prayers, you know, some people around me, they're like, you need to speak in tongues too. I'm like, I'm not feeling the Holy Spirit the same way you guys are. And what was in my heart was just a few words. And I just remember them saying stuff like, man, I just feel like they're mocking God. Because they think all these things they're saying, God will just automatically answer them. No, he doesn't. God doesn't need many words for us, from us. And so, we must learn how to listen and then say less. I love the uh, passage in uh, Romans chapter 12, I think. Paul says, sometimes we don't even know what to pray for. And that's when we invite the Holy Spirit to give us the words. Because the Holy Spirit knows how to intercede for us to the Father. And so when you stuck, sometimes it's okay. Just quiet your heart and invite the Holy Spirit to do the talking for you. So the teacher moves on and gives a third instruction on how we must worship God with reverence. And these instructions have to do with vows. In verse 4 he says, When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it, for he has no pleasure in fools. The teacher here is talking about a law in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 23, verse 21, which reads, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not postpone fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will incur guilt. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not incur guilt. And a vow is usually a conditional promise made to God, right? If God will do something for me, then I will do this for God. Unfortunately, worshipers were tempted not to fulfill their vow after God had granted their heart desires. So the teacher continues in verse 5, it is better that you should not even make the vow in the first place 
than to make it and not fulfill it. Why is that? In the book of Acts uh, chapter 5, verse 11, we're introduced to two couples, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, right? And so during the early church, uh, we know that they were selling their possessions and they all sold their stuff and they brought it uh, to the body of Christ so that the poor were taken care of. Everyone was doing that. And so this couple, they also wanted to be a part of that and they decided to sell what they had but then they became greedy. They sold it, and they kept some of the money for themselves. And when Peter approached Ananias and said, before you sold it, it belonged to you. But after you sold it, why did you keep some of the money? What happened? He fell right there and died. And when his wife, who wasn't aware of what happened to her husband, when she came, Afterwards, Peter asked her, is this all the money that you guys got from the property you sold? And she lied. And Peter said, the same man who took the dead body of your husband will also take your body. And she fell right there and died. That is how God takes vows seriously. And so the teacher is saying, don't even make them. Don't be tempted to make them. And the Jews back then, when they made a vow, they made it in the name of God. And we, <laughs> and even God during his time, he rebuked them for saying that. It's like, don't use the name of the Lord God in vain. Let your yes be yes and no be no. And today in churches, today we make vows. When you marry in church, you're promising to live before God as husband and wife till death do you apart. How many Christians fulfill that vow? Sadly, not all of us do. When we present our children for baptism, we are promised to instruct them in the ways of the Lord. When you are ordained as a church officer, you are promising to fulfill his calling faithfully. We even make private vows. If God will heal me, then I will do this for God. If God gives me a wife by the end of the year, which is not a bad vow to make, I will do this. And so, making a vow is not a sin. That is not what the teacher is saying, and that's not what Ibrahim is saying. So don't live here and tell someone, Ibrahim told you not to make a vow. But the sin is making a vow and not fulfilling it. Because God is not somebody you should be joking with. This admonition about vows was so serious that the teacher reinforces it in his final point. In verse 6, do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. And so back then, the teacher was referring to people making a vow to donate a certain amount of money to the temple treasury. Usually when they fail to pay it up, the priest or somebody from uh, the temple will go to their house and remind them of their vow. But some, might, some of them responded, oh, I made that vow as a mistake. Some might even claim, oh, it was unintentional. God will punish people not fulfilling their vows like he did to Ananias and Sapphira. And he will punish us 
for coming up with lame excuses. And so if you cannot keep the vow you make, just don't make it. That is what the teacher is saying. And then he ends in verse 7. He concludes with a final warning and probably the most important warning, which hopefully as you guys have been coming and listening to this new series. You've been hearing it every week. But fear God. Fear God. Because that is the whole duty of men. When we fear God, we worship Him with the right approach, with the right attitude. And the book of Proverbs highlights that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of reverent worship, which God deserves from us. And the fear of God does not mean that we should be afraid of God or terrified at coming into his presence. God wants us to enjoy fellowshipping with him. God loves it that we are here to enjoy his presence this morning. The fear of God means that we must stand in awe of him, that we come into his presence with reverence and respect and give him the respect that he deserves. And Jesus agrees with the Old Testament teacher. Jesus agrees that we should worship God with reverence especially when we are in the house of God. Because Jesus became very angry when he went into the temple and found people selling stuff. Jesus lost his mind. In uh, John chapter 2, from verse 13 to 22, this was right before the Passover. You know, the Jews were coming into Jerusalem, getting ready for the Passover. And what was happening, here's a little bit of a context to show why Jesus was upset. The high priest at that time was Annas, who along with his son-in-law Caiaphas was a greedy man. And so the priest and his cohorts, they controlled the commercial aspect of the Passover. And so they will inspect the animals that people from all over Rome brought to Jerusalem to offer to God. The priest will inspect the animals And then they will say, something is wrong with your animal. So you have to buy our own animals. That was what they were doing. And of course, they extorted the people. If an animal cost, if you brought an animal for $5, a healthy animal, they'll tell you, no, this animal does not pass for a sacrifice. Buy our animal, which is like $40. Furthermore, every Jewish male over the age of 21 was required to pay a temple tax. And so Jews came all over the Roman Empire with coins bearing the effigy of Caesar. The problem was that coin wasn't acceptable in the temple. And so there was the money exchange. They had to exchange the money and get the money that they can use in the temple. And what happened? They jacked up the price. This was the religious leaders who took a vow of office. They were the same ones extorting people. And Jesus became very angry with the injustice that was going on because the people who should be leading 
the leaders who should be leading people to God were using their office to enrich themselves and they made worshiping God a burdensome event. Worship is supposed to be an enjoyable event, something that draws us closer to God instead of an event that you have to jump some hoops like the Jews were doing during the Passover. And so Jesus got upset. He made whips and started flogging people. He flipped tables. Fear God and give him glory. This is the whole duty of man. God alone deserves our worship. And if we had to worship him with the right approach, we have to fear God. Jesus closed the gap that used to exist between us and God. You know, the teacher talked about God is above and we're here. But Jesus closed that gap. Because you can be at home with two other believers praying in the name of the Lord and God will be there. We have access to God now through Christ, our mediator. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil that separated the holies of holies where God dwelt with the Ark of the Covenant, that veil was torn apart so that now we can approach God with confidence. And so because we have that access, we have to be diligent in how we approach God. Praise God we have that access. Praise God that you don't need anyone to intercede on your behalf. You can do it by yourself. Praise God that when you come here, you get to witness God's presence. But let's not forget that He is God, the creator of everything. He's got the whole world in our hands. He deserves our respect. If we can respect our rulers, our parents, People that we view in high regard, we can definitely do that when we come to the house of the Lord. And that is what God requires from us. Fear God and give Him glory. This is our duty. So pray with me. Jesus, uh, thank you for your word. And just thank you for the mistakes that we get to read in Scripture, mistakes that we get to learn from, Lord. And we just want to be in awe of you every time we step into this building to worship you. And so just give us joy that comes only from you. And we pray that whatever reasons that we come here to worship you for. That there will be reasons that are pleasing to you. And as we come, that you will meet us where we are, Lord. Thank you for this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we uh, get to respond uh, in a few ways. You know, we get to sing, and also we uh, will eat communion. And so if you've put your faith in Jesus...
we invite you to uh, join us for communion. You know, before he's dead, he gathered with his disciples. He washed their feet and took bread and broke it and blessed it and said, this is my body that I will die on the cross for you. And so when you eat this bread, remember what I'm about to do on the cross for you. And the same way he took a glass of wine and blessed it and said, this symbolizes my blood that I will shed for you. My blood that will make it approach, make it so you can approach me whenever you want to. So when we eat communion, remember that this morning. And if you need prayers about anything, uh, Joe, Rachel Berg will be back there offering prayers for anyone. So if you have any burden in your heart, we will love to pray for you, and they'll just be right back there. And also sing and worship with us.